Right, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> welcome back to another Broken Wars podcast. Uh, it's just me and Aaron this time. We're not introducing any wonderful, brilliant and interesting guests. I think we're just going off on one about things we found really interesting over the past couple of months in rowing. In some ways, I think there's lots of happy things to talk about. And in some ways, there's lots of things that have really pissed us off. So, Aaron. Are we talking about the fact that this is our first time-limited podcast ever? Or are we talking about what happens to the world's best and most original rowing podcast when the cool, calm and mediating presence of the posh southern one is taken away temporarily and the northern monkey goes off on a little bit of a rant about an article in The Guardian recently? Well, personally, um, not simply out of a sense of enormous loyalty to a long-serving northern monkey, um, I'm going to say that what happens when the southern one is like rather wrapped up in work is a pretty good Broken Thoughts episode. Um, I, I really do think that kind of important things needed to be said. I think there was a Guardian article out there that was, what was it, 1,500 words of complete fluff. If you haven't listened to this listener, I thought it was brilliant. It was brilliantly researched. It was it was honest. It was open. It was transparent about why we bolted up in Tokyo, and and you should go and read it because it's what we should aspire to as journalists, professionals, and people of integrity. Okay, Aaron, we've only got fifteen or nine <laughs> minutes. If you're just going to lie like that, we, you know we're just not going to get anywhere with this format. But uh, no, it was it was a shocking piece of corporate PR. Um, it was I, I think okay, you've you've done a much deeper dive on it, and you've got a lot more hatred of it than I have. But the thing that really got me was the use of the phrase "high tech rowing machines." Yeah, and apparently this was a direct quote from the current director of performance. I mean, I'm a northern monkey. I, I, I train on a river where you have to fight your way through the whippets just to get on the water. What, what are these high-tech rowing machines of which they speak? I, I don't know. Maybe it's the Techno Gym Techno Row, which is basically, it's a rowing machine that looks a lot like a big, heavy and slightly sleek Concept 2 rowing machine that seems to work in almost exactly the same way except it doesn't have a monitor and you have to plug your own phone or uh, tablet into it. And for this privilege, you pay £3,000. So are we to draw from this that, that down at Caversham, they've spent £3,000 times 41 athletes, I guess, at the last count, or 42 or something like that. We're currently on the, the pathway to Paris, as they're calling it. We have a Eurostar. We have flights even from East Midlands Airport. We don't need a pathway to Paris. We know where we're going. It, it's We've been there before. Um, have they spent £3,000 times 41 on these high-tech rowing machines, or are they, as Instagram and social media suggest, still using the Concept 2? I think they're still using the Concept 2, which has been around since 19... has a thing, 1986, maybe 88. Uh, they came in, and one year later... Um, Dan Topolsky retired from rowing. I wonder why. Um, possibly because he was a bullshit artist who had no idea about coaching and any kind of objective measurement of people's ability to pull on an oar handle might have ruined his shtick. But never mind. You know this spleen and the invective that I displayed in, in my broken thoughts. Is it somehow infectious? Because it seems to have transferred to your love of Dan and turned it into something nasty and vitriolic. Um, yeah, yeah. Dan, Dan is my all-time favourite. Um, Twat hammer, I believe, is the technical <laughs> term. Yeah, no, I, I, I have a, I have a personal kind of dislike, which we won't go into, of Dan Topolsky. Um, I, I, I suppose one of the things I should say is that I support everything you said about that. Um, and I'm not paying him to say that because I don't have yeah, enough money. I, 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 I think we could. 
we could disagree about the influence of Jürgen or what the importance of the head coach should have been. Um, I believe personally you should be able to turn around and swap out anybody apart from the rowers. You know, that's that's the, you know, if, if, if there's if there's a head head physiologist that you can't do without, it's like, well, why not? He's a physiologist. If there's a director of performance we absolutely must have sitting on the sidelines, no, the guys you need are the are the rowers. Um, so anyone else apart from the rowers, the athletes at the sharp end, which was my point. Yeah. Anyone else is it should be interchangeable within a successful. Should be interchangeable structure. now. Now that that's like that's an idealized. You know, I'm probably being as guilty of anybody as management speak there, but you know the people who matter are the boys and girls sitting in the boat, not the people sitting on the sidelines. And you can talk about the team effort all you want, but they're the point of the spear, basically. Um, but was it just like a shocking puff piece? Yes. We can argue about the importance of Jürgen, but I, I think the point was that, you know, and obviously without Lewin to um, stop me going off on a, on a, on a ramble, you know, the thing about high horses is once you get on them, you can, you can ride them around the paddock, out of the gate, down the road and far away. And I certainly did that, but the idea that, that, you know, when I think it was Louise said, you know, we couldn't guarantee medals if Jürgen was still in place. Well, actually you could, because that's what he's always guaranteed. That's his job. That's if you look at his results, he's always brought home medals from every Olympics he's been involved in. It's he's the closest thing to a sure thing you can ever see in sport. And I think what really boiled my piss, which is an old fashioned Georgia expression and one that I'm trying to reintroduce back into polite society, is firstly the high-tech rowing machine thing. It's like, what the actual F are you talking about? And then the rowers are moving on from their disappointing performance, like it was all on the rowers that we, we crashed and burned in Tokyo. And obviously I'm not mentioning Jack in the quad or the eight who, who brought medals home, but it was all on the rowers. And that is not acceptable for an institution whose funding largely goes to the infrastructure and the people within it and not necessarily down to the rowers. It doesn't filter down to the rowers. I don't know if I've said on the podcast, but it's my firm belief that when the four came in, Brendan, he should have been at the landing stage. He should have said, guys, you're not talking to the media. I'm talking to the media. You know, he 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 should have literally just said, no, this happens in races. The reason that happened is because they were doing everything they could do to win. The reason they didn't win is because they weren't supported well enough by me. It's not time to discuss this or give any firm answers, but I'm currently considering my future. So basically leaving these guys are sort of like mid twenties, early twenties, four guys yeah. hanging out there. Then no, that, that, that should have, that should have just never happened. At the very least, he should have been standing shoulder to shoulder with them. And we had Dan Armstrong on from Tyne and Durham. Um, and he made the point that there was a lot of recrimination on, you know, when we were losing the races and we weren't doing as well as expected. Matt asked some pointed questions. James wrote articles in his various newspapers. And then, as Dan said, nothing. Tumbleweed, you know, against a backdrop of disappointment and re recriminations. Like, what? We're, we're a year on from it. What backdrop has there been? There's been a review process. Has anyone? Yeah. Has, 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 we, we, we've been whinging about it. And we've, we've actually talked to quite a few people about it. Um, I, I, I think we know at least one person who'd like to come on and share some thoughts. It was it was a corporate puff piece. It didn't provide answers. I you know I worry about why it was done, and I you know can, can I use up two minutes of our of our precious one hour here? Why not? I do all do the you, time. Do, do you know the great literary genius Lee Child, author of the Jack Reacher series? I think that he's possibly our finest bard since Shakespeare, and I'll not hear a word said against him. <laughs> Yeah, so basically, Lee Child is an author who well, writes about... 
<laughs> he writes stuff. Technically, he's an author. Um, he writes about one of the hardest men alive, Jack Reacher, who is essentially a fully flesh and blood Terminator. Men want to be him. Women want to be with him, etc. And the genius of the Reacher novels is that they go through, they try and put you in the mind and the actions of one of the most supremely com competent, confident, and dangerous men alive in America. You know, it's just like Jack Reacher, you do not want to be on the other side. You don't want to be on the wrong side, literally. No. And, but in every single one of the novels that he wrote, that I've read, I, I don't know if it's, if it's almost kind of, because normally they're, they're perfect. They absolutely were perfect about, you know, you know, what, what is the size of this pistol? What is the, what is the kick of this rifle? Um, and you know, how, how does the how does the weight of the USMC K bar knife feel in your hand? And that's what it sells it. It makes you feel like you understand what it is to be a hardened killer who is on more or less the side of right. Yeah. Yeah. And every single one of those novels has got a glaring, a single glaring, retinously obvious mistake that me as a former Air Force cadet could spot. The rest of it is just absolutely perfect. Can't, can't, can't put a fag paper between the cracks. I really can't. And then there's just this big, open, <laughs> glaring thing. And you know, a gen generally a piece of military equipment or, yeah. or something that actually somebody with, you know, a lot of back copies of weapons and firepower <laughs> would, <laughs> I don't know, whatever, whatever dumb... Guns and ammo. Guns, guns and, and ammo. ammo. Yeah, something and like that, that kind of would actually be able to look up. And for me, when she talked about the high-tech rowing machines, which are not particularly high-tech. They're very, very simple. Yep. Um, that's what's so good about them because they are these big, simple lumps of steel that are very, very difficult to break, um, no matter how hard you pull on them. And we'll talk about someone who's been pulling on them very hard. Um, but it just, it was just like the sudden, actually, oh, Christ, does this person act? actually not know what she's talking about that was the glaring technical error that made yeah. you actually you know it triggered actually not all as well in the state of denmark here that was the bit that caught my eye i was just kind of kind of i was skimming it until that point and then after i hit that i thought right i'm actually going to read this and i basically found something in every paragraph you know, you know, language is a slippery bugger at the best of times. It is, it is the bar of soap in the conceptual bath, but actually you should still be able to wash yourself clean with it. And that article left me feeling dirty about the state of British rowing. Um, the bottom line is, and you and I have talked about this, there seems to be a comms issue at, with British rowing. We've had chats with them before the Olympics about how we might approach getting athlete stories and that kind of stuff out there and you know we live in the age of micro narratives and meta narratives and all of that sort of thing you remember when we talked to eric and yeah you, you know you said the thing about it was the transparency that stunned you it's like these are my scores if you can beat them great you know well done you know come and have a go fantastic whereas in british rowing it's like no no i couldn't possibly tell you the results of the trials no because you might know what they did over 5k well we've got a rough idea and it's this kind of corporate determination to not present anything just as yet yeah, this is black and this is white and this is where we are and on we go um anyway i mean yeah um eric murray that that's that's for me eric murray has kind of cemented his place as one of the greatest rowing athletes of all time have you, know you seen right now yeah have you seen his tango it's a thing of beauty is it? Is it? Uh, I, I, I haven't actually seen any live footage. 
Um, he's, he's doing I've, dancing. I've only seen his in- Instagram shots, and he's in the semi-final. Yeah, he's doing Dancing with the Stars on Ice or something like that. Um, yeah. Yeah, well played and, that man. And, and, and he's absolutely slapping it. He's it's smashing brilliant. it. I love it. Do we, you know, we can't compete with this. I mean, you know, Crackers, he, he, he didn't make it out of the first round. He didn't. He had a go, bless him. But, you know, I, I defended him in, in the Broken Thoughts piece, you know, pointing out that people who slammed this technique back in the day were not even anywhere close to his level, usually. But he moved around the dance floor um, slightly stiffly, shall we say. Uh, the rhythm and spring that he displayed in the boat wasn't really much in evidence in his quick step and his his passive double crossovers. And yes, I, I do have yeah. parents who used to dance in dance halls and I... I did do the whole thing of being put on their feet as a child. And this is how you waltz and this is how you foxtrot and all, all of that stuff. Can't remember any of it now. Can't remember any of it now. Kind of a shame. Um, but yeah, no, um, I, I, I'm genuinely quite impressed. Eric. He has, he has that ability to just like, I'm going to do the same thing over and over again, 200 times and then pick up a gold medal. And now I'm going to do a load of completely different things. <laughs> 200 times and look really brilliant doing it. I mean, yeah. so I, what a chat. Really quite impressed with that. Indeed. Um, what is the next thing that you would like to talk about in our right, I, 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 I want to get, I want to get onto um, something very, very close to my heart. Tall, slim, good looking men with frankly the best hair in the South of England. Oh, it's not me then. Okay. Pulling massive ergos. Oh, born to rule. Born to born rule. The, I saw the post. <laughs> I'm sorry. Tom George, right? Was there ever a better argument for a hereditary monarchy, monarchy than Tom George? I think given the right backing and a sword, he could probably march on Buckingham Palace and Whitehall and take them himself. I mean, he could probably get an army if he wanted one, but I don't think he needs one. I mean, right now, I... For those who don't know what he's done, Loon, take us through what he's done and why it's so impressive. And it's not just the hair or, this, or, or, oh, or the no, jawline. No, but, but, but no, seriously, the hair is pretty bloody impressive. And, and so. the jawline, the jawline that speaks of, of impeccable genetics <laughs> going back to, to, to when God was a lad. This, this is one of these painful things that sort of... James Cracknell is very handsome for a rower. Oh, good God, yes. He's very handsome... But, you know, if James Cracknell were to stand next to, and James Cracknell was the previous holder of the um, British 5K record. Yes, um, and men if, wanted to be him and women wanted yeah. to be with him, yes. You took James Cracknell and stood him next to, let's say, Brad Pitt and George Clooney mm-hmm. and Leonardo DiCaprio. They'd say, he, is, is he the bouncer? Is, is he their bodyguard? If, on the other hand, you took Tom George, the new holder of the world, 5K, Concept 2, high-tech, ergo record, (laughs) (laughs) of 14 minutes and 53, which is a 129.3 per 500-metre average. So, you know, literally, he went as fast as I go for 1K on a good day and he did that for 5K. He did it for five times as long as, as I'm capable of doing it. A feat of human strength, endurance, and willpower that is just beyond. And, if you, put him, and if you put him next to Clooney, Pitt, and uh, DiCaprio, you just go, oh, well, yes, of course. He's the, course. Obvious, he's the obvious fourth choice, isn't he? He's the obvious member of that little cabal. Indeed. And, and you know, I mean, he, he very much is the right boy from the right family. Nobody's trying to pretend he's from a council estate in Slough who just, like, got a few good A-levels and got into Cambridge University. He, 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 he has breeding. And, I mean, if you can imagine him next next to our our current heir to the throne, I think we all know who everybody would choose. Well, if if you're suggesting that we I mean, go back to the, the good old days when kings actually decided who was kings by having a fight, my money would definitely be on young Tom. I, I mean, absolutely. 
No I mean, against any of them. I mean, may, maybe that'd be quite a good way to decide who the prime minister was. What, you mean I actually just have a knockdown, a stand-up knockdown, drag-out, bare-knuckle brawl and last man stand? It's going to be Tom. It's going to be Tom in everything. Yes. I mean, this is basically it. And, you know, the boy's clearly got a brain in him. They, you, it's very, very difficult to get into Cambridge University if you're actually thick. Um, you have to have at least some level of being able to bluff the academics. I... I, I just, I'm, I'm genuinely, Tom George makes me feel that there is a future for this great nation and, you know, quite possibly a future with a crown on it. That's just me. Well, no, that's fine. And, and I will, I will let you have that one, but I will just, as, as the token northerner in our mix, I will, I will just throw this out there with the point about breeding is a, is a good one. We're obviously well aware of, of the Victorian and Edwardian eth ethnographers um, who, who said that breeding was all and, and recommended basically starving the poor to get rid of them. But I'm just going to, I'm just going to, on a side note, my mum, my mum has a spaniel called Dylan, not after the famous American folk, uh, folk singer who was originally Robert Zimmerman, but just because um, he's big and he's thick and he's stupid like Dylan from the Magic Roundabout, uh, but he is he is the most purebred spaniel, or he was at the time in the UK. People used to pay a fortune for for him to to produce heirs. He was basically a stud dog who my mum took on as a, um, a as a rescue dog. And he has impeccable breeding. He has better breeding than any of the royals that are currently left in Europe. I'd just like to point out, however, that he still likes to lick his own testicles and bottom. Breeding is not necessarily all. That's all I'm saying. We've got no pictures of Tom doing this. But, but strictly speaking, uh, I wouldn't judge if we did. In all seriousness, an absolutely outstanding feat of physical endurance. Um, what is particularly terrifying is the last thousand meters where he just seemed to speed up to go and just go. Yeah, yeah I mean, it, it, it was it was like it was borderline. His last five hundred meters, if he'd done that just for like it, it would have been a, a five fifty pace for two k. His final 500 metres, he just, I mean, it was absolutely incredible. Um, go, and, go and look up the pictures of his ergo screen and pick any particular 1,000 metres. And if you, can, if you can row that fast, there is a rowing coach somewhere in the country that wants to put you in a boat. A genuine titan of human endurance. So we've talked about Eric Murray, we've talked about Tom George, we've talked about the Guardian article. So, so we've had a couple of positive things. Should, should, we do, should we do a negative thing? I cannot think of anything that's happened in British rowing, uh, and I'm including the Guardian article in this, because uh, some good will come out of it, possibly the execution of people, I'm not sure. Uh, I can't think of anything negative that's happened in British rowing ever. So I have no idea what you're talking about, none. You, you, you don't think there's been a an ever growing scandal in sort among how should we put this amongst certain clubs mostly located in the Putney region playing fast and loose with who should be in the category of club and who should be in the category of champ how dare you suggest this, Luna? How dare you suggest that there is anything negative in fine and noble clubs who trumpet their success and their position on their social media channels? How dare you suggest there's anything negative in them going fast and winning things? I can't possibly think what you're talking about. Well, given that we, we did an entire episode where we defended closed categories in sport, where we actually said that if you don't meet the categorization set out for, let's say, women, you shouldn't row in a women's rowing race. You're talking about our episode on trans, which, which the yeah. IOC has actually finally got on board with and realised it's been talking complete arse bollocks for the last... Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I think... I think that I, I think there's been a very very big switch. I'd like to claim the credit for that. However, I think if there's any podcaster that 
is doing that. It's Science of Sports, Ross Tucker. If you don't listen to it, go and listen to it. He's brilliant. To swing back, Lewin, are you talking about, and I can barely bring myself to say it because I, I cannot believe there has been any wrongdoing. Are you talking about Thames and their, their habit of being disqualified for not putting the right people in their boats? Well, it's becoming a habit, yes. <laughs> it's becoming a habit for a lot of Tideway clubs to say, let's just whack people in there, win the race, because we've got a load of champ athletes in club races. Now, I haven't looked up the rules and I need to do this, but we'll whack them in there and we'll see if anybody notices. And if we get disqualified, we get disqualified. But everyone else feels like they've been cheated. But Lewin, Lewin, you wrote for Agecroft. You, you, you know that we were always getting the names wrong in the boats. We'd go to races and I'd, I'd see someone in front of me that I'd never seen before and, and go, who are you? And no, actually. And turn around there. with a broad East Coast accent and say, hi. <laughs> we didn't do hi. any of that. It's great to be here in Gloucestershire. <laughs> it's great to be here in Gloucestershire. It's so different I'm from Marty. Ohio. I'm from Dartmouth. <laughs> um yeah we we the thing is and you know we have occasionally cast agecroft as northern barbarians who come screaming out of the mist usually first thing in the morning often with a hangover if sean is involved to steal your pots ravish your women and then vanish back up to the land of the m62 and the cheshire wag uh, cackling all the way but even we managed to put the right names <laughs> on the right bits of paper for the right races it's been um, pretty poor yeah i mean i okay i don't the only person i've ever met who was found rowing outside their category was like you know we're talking going back here until 2005 mm -hmm. i think i met them very very briefly no it would be 2006 at peterborough regatta and they were helping their club out, but they were serving a one-year ban from racing. Right. Because they'd impersonated someone of a lower category and tried to get away with it. And yeah. since 2000, so in that terrifyingly long 16 years, it's gone from being this thing that you absolutely do not do if you want to spend any part of the next 12 months racing a boat to being just this, yeah, let's give it a go and see what happens. If we get discoed, we get discoed. If we don't, we've got pots. And apparently also, if you win the race and you get disqualified, everybody in the boat still gets the uh the points so they move up experience categories even though they've been disqualified i'm just going to throw in at this point that we did actually invite um thames to come on and have a chat with us about it as we do whenever we have a difficult subject when we were talking about jürgen or we were talking about the british rower who got popped at the indoors for um taking um all of the things that he took we like having the chats we like having the debate we like learning new new things and they declined saying that they were going to stand by their statement and try and regain the trust um of the rowing community and having read the statement i have to say that it was guardian-esque in its levels of not actually going yep you got us red-handed because let's be honest and let's be really clear this was a very very deliberate strategy that could have only been it could have only come forward if everybody involved agreed to do it. Yeah. Yeah. And okay. I mean, one, one reason I'm going to take this slightly personally was possibly the last time this occurred mm -hmm. less than four months ago, I think right. coming into the head season. So I don't know, it's, it's longer than that. So maybe it's like six or seven months ago back in the fours head when there were a rash of disqualifications, I made a crack about, oh, I'm guessing this was Thames. Now, apparently it wasn't Thames that time. It was Tideway. But now Thames is doing it. It's clearly spreading like wildfire. And, you know, 
it's just some it's got to be stamped on you know pe- people have got to say right this is cheating if you do this you're going to be punished within the mechanisms of the sport so basically we're going to stop you competing we're going to stop you coaching we're going to stop your club entering races yeah otherwise it's just going to keep going and you're going to you know most people go to races thinking well there's a really strong chance we're going to lose because that's the nature of the sport yeah you know it, 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 there's one winner and six races you've got a five sixth chance of losing except the whole thing was about the point system about all of the the idea behind it is you're up against people of a similar level of experience and ability to yourself yeah and if you take if you take that away there's no you know if, if you don't believe that you're going to be against this and you're going to have to go on a detective mission to find out who you're actually up against. What, what, why, why would you bother to go rowing? Or why would you bother to go rowing under the current format? Yeah. You wouldn't. Because, because there's, you wouldn't, because there's two things that come out of what you've just said. And the first is that the clubs involved, as their social media uh, likes to proclaim, have got serious pretensions of doing very, very well at Henley which is, as we talked about last year, has become the the, the shining city on the hill for um, rowing achievement, essentially. Yeah. It doesn't, you know, winning at winning at Talking Tarn or winning at Hollingworth Lake is great, but everybody wants to win at Henley. And what they're basically doing is they're getting, they're giving their crews free race experience. Now, back at Agecroft, and this comes down to a point of club management, back at Agecroft, Dennis would not let us enter races just to pick up cheap points because as far as he saw it, it was all about making Agecroft competitive, but you had to row to your ability and you had to row appropriately. So he never, he never put anybody in above their heads and he never put anyone in below where they should have been. It's, it's basic club management because the whole of British rowing is essentially on what the Americans call the honor system. And yes, we have the odd occasion where ringers turn up. And yes, we have people who are parachuted into boats at the the last minute, um, which is pretty shonky if you've been doing the training all year. And yes, occasionally at the big regattas like Henley, you will magically see people appearing just for a charge down the Henley track. And you'll think, oh, I'm not quite sure you should be rowing in that particular category. But if we don't have that honor system, and if we don't have that running through British rowing, there's literally no point in going to races because you're basically becoming cannon fodder for whoever has decided on a club by club basis that they're going to bend the rules and it has to be a collective decision. It's not, it's, this isn't a Richard Freeman. This isn't a lone wolf taking down an entire organization for everyone to do this. Everyone has to know that it's being done and it's simply not, not, not good enough. As far as I can see, it's, it's spreading. It's spreading from the top end down. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't know whose responsibility it is. I'd have thought it's British rowings, but I think it might, you know, absolutely can some of the larger races do something about this independently. They can. The, you know, um, the force head could choose to look at the list of disqualifications from the past year. So could the eight head, so could Henley. And actually just say, you know, maybe they have a word in somebody's ear. Maybe they just make their feelings clear with their actions and they just don't offer people entries. You know, their race organisers, they they have the right to refuse entry. I think it's that simple. Yeah, I I think it is that simple. I think that with everything that's gone on, it's not been a one-off. It's been, it's obviously been a conscious decision that's been taken at some point in time, and it's they they have pushed it and pushed it and pushed it. And the whole point about something like Henley, if, if you're if you're you know a northern monkey like me at, at Acecroft, and you probably are going to get blasted out in the in the first round, or you might make a Thursday or a, or a Friday. 
you know that you're doing it on your own merits and you're going to the Hollingworth Lakes and you're going to the head of the trend and you're going to the Holmes Pierpoint regattas and, and to, to you're desperately trying to qualify through Met and Marlow and, and Wallingford. And, but you know that you're doing it against boats that are roughly of the same quality. If, you're, if you know you're going to these events and you're spending a lot of money doing it and putting a lot of time into your training and your entire eight is, your entire crew is and your coaches, and you're going up against people who are basically levels above you at various events, it's not what the sport is about. That's not the honor system of the sport. It doesn't, it doesn't work. There's yeah. no, the, there's no pot that you could win. That's worth it. It's like, it's like winning a pot because you're on PEDs. It's, you know, it's, it's a form of doping. It's cheap. It's cheating. We upon this podcast condemn it. And uh, we don't believe it's an accident. Pretty much. How are we doing for time? Oh, we, we've actually got a bit of time in hand. We, 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 we've got... Actually, when we time limit ourselves, Lou, and we really sprint through the points. Yeah, we? We, 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 we get to the point. Yeah. We should probably do this more often, I think. Possibly. For the sake of, know. you know, for the sake of the podcast, for the listener, for the sake of the listener. Indeed. Right. So we've done some George the Guardian article. The, the shameful goings on on the tideway. Eric Murray. Dancing with the stars on ice. I know. Yeah, is brilliant. Um, right. I, I'd like to talk about, I've, I've been doing, you know, I don't know if you follow the Instagram for the I love your. I, I follow your Instagram. I love it. I love watching you still being incredibly awesome and powerful as, as I pause halfway up the stairs to catch my breath still. It's wonderful. <laughs> but yes, um, I, I've been doing, so again, th- this is like, I want to like throw ideas out there for different ways of doing racing in rowing. That, 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 that's what I want to kind of like talk about. Okay. So what I've been doing recently, I've been doing, so it was Romania. I dodged out of row series because my lungs wouldn't, were just not going to take it. Um, and now I'm doing the Viking Erg Challenge. And basically how these work is you sign up. Mm-hmm. You slap your 15 quid or whatever it is. It's not very much money down on the table. And they say, right, on Monday, we're going to announce the challenge. And you've got to go and do it. You, you've got a week. You've literally got precisely seven days or six days, the nearest 24 hours, to go and do that challenge on the Ergo. And then you email in your results and you say, look, we, we did this challenge on the Ergo. How good are we? And they produce a table and they give you points and they do all these things. And I'm just thinking, couldn't you actually do that on the water? Couldn't you just say, right, I, I you know, lots of different ways of looking at it. And, and so they come up with a new challenge every week for three or four weeks in a row. Right. And some of them just take the money for just administering it, fair enough. Some of them actually give out not, not unreasonable sweepstakes-style prizes. But um, essentially, if you were a rowing club, couldn't you just say to all the rowing clubs in your area, right, we're going to draw two lines across the river on the map and you can send us a GPS at any time between week A and week B of how fast you went from the first line to the second line. I love that idea because let's be honest, we are we are in our sweet spot for rowing. The winter slog is behind us. We, we have these glorious three or four months when we can maybe get out on a Tuesday night or a Thursday night or whenever your club night is. We're getting out in our crews. We're preparing for races and all sorts. We're doing our paddles. We could just, you could do that on the water and just, and just let, and just put your score in at the end. And then, yeah, I think that's great. You know, and Obviously, it might be a question that you're just going to restrict it. You can just turn around and say, right, 
whatever the fastest, right? We've got line A to line B on the time, whatever the fastest boat is. Or you can do it, there's like women's boats, men's boats, there's eights, there's fours, there's quads, there's singles, whatever it is. You can put in those things, those categories, however you want to split it up. I just quite like the idea that, you know, it, where I am in East Kent, there's like one river and there's one club on it. That's not particularly great. But there are different ways of doing that because then you can actually say, right, over this month, each weekend, we're just going to have one person standing at the gate of our club. So like ready to sell people coffee and cake and take 15 quid off them to go boating on our river. We'll, we'll, we'll give them a copy of the, and they can go out on our river, turn around, smash it down. Or you can just organize across a region. Across a region, you've got one month to just like put down your fastest 2K score on any piece of river. And then everybody's like sitting there watching like the tide and they're watching the, the wind. And is it going to be raining? Because you want a bit of drizzle, don't you? You want you to do. break up the surface tension. You so do. you want that perfect kind of like blustery autumn day with drizzle coming down, going with the tide. And if you get that right, you can beat anyone out there. I can see the north rising again because the the the, the tide on the Tyne at the minute with the blood moon has been phenomenal. It's been well, yeah, literally just 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 something like that. I mean, literally, you know, uh, <laughs> British rowing. If you're listening, you could do this. You could I, literally just go around the regions well, and just well, say any any river anywhere fastest. 3,000 metres. Well, it doesn't even have to be regional. You could, you could do it nationally because they could centralise it as having an online, on-water Viking rowing league. This week's challenge is X, get it in before Friday, and then every four weeks you, you have the results of the various categories. Yeah. You know, it, it's really as simple as that. It's basically log in. And again, we come back to the, the honour system. You can GPS it. You know, it, it's very... I mean, GPS, I... I I'm sure they've moved on from the days when we were at Agecroft Loon, but you, I don't know if you were in the boat the day that we, we did Chester Head when Pete Holmes was our coach and Mark Hancock, being the engineer that he is, decided to um, plot our route on GPS and it turned out afterwards we'd rode across two fields in a railway track. I, I'm guessing that it had moved on since then. It's a little bit better. Okay. Um, I mean, sort of in, in the intervening years... Um, since since that particular head, I'm fairly sure um, what would have been, knowing Mark, a state-of-the-art yeah. GPS device has actually been superseded by the nearest te 14-year-old teenager's phone um, oh, in terms I, I, of accuracy and recording ability. But literally, you can just, you can just stick this on Strava. Yeah, and I, I, will, I will point out that that result actually gave us, it was, you know, very early in the head season. It gave us a lot of confidence because we if we can go that fast across two fields on the railway track, imagine <laughs> what we could do on the water. Genius. The fitness requir required to portage and no small amount of courage to take a rowing eight onto a railway track. Yes. We can we like can take one. we can take the fourteen thirty two to Piccadilly. It hasn't got the legs. Put the legs down. Yes, I can see Maddie yeah, urging. So, I mean, there you go. You want to earn a bit of cash, you know, and you know, forget any club or champ or whatever kind of system. Okay, Leander aren't going to win because there's no bloody stream. Okay, yeah, there's a bit of a stream, not much, but, you know, but not much. Um, the Tideway, Tideway clubs might, you know, they definitely, they they'd be in with a shot as long as they're prepared to row at something like four in the morning when the, the biggest tide is. If you restrict it to a week when it's really late, you know, the people who are going to win it, the guys who literally just like rock up at three in the morning and say, right, come on, let's, let's just, let's Stick go with the... 
the um, the flood tide. No, the ebb tide. Yeah, the flood on the flood. As long as you catch either of them on the full, because when the tide is going out on 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 the Tyne, it actually once it gets going, it can move pretty darn quickly between Newburn yeah. and Scotswood. I mean, okay. Now, strictly speaking, Tom George isn't the only person who's done a sub fifteen minute five k. I have done a sub fifteen minute five k on the Medway. Have you really? In a quad. Uh-huh. With an absolutely screaming tailwind <laughs> and a massive tide, it was brilliant. It's legal. If it was legal for Flo Joe, it's legal for you, Lou, and take it. I, 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 I don't care. It makes me as much of a man, apart from the hair, obviously, as Tom um, George and, um, and the jawline and, well, and the bridge, the Cambridge degree. Your jawline's not bad. Your jawline is not bad at all. Um, but I, I would take that if, if it was legal for Flojo on a, on a day when there was wind blowing through the stadium that was close to a hurricane and then it magically disappeared for her races, then it's legal for you. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that that's my suggestion. That is just a a monthly challenge, a distance. You could probably break it up any way you want because you can just submit a GPS file. And so uh, the the big thing about all these things is that usually they have, they say row a a load of intervals or they say row a 10K race, but the middle 2,000 metres, you've got to put your best score in for that. And the final 500 metres and the first 500 metres, those are what you're all judged on. I like it. I like the idea of a centralized online on water Viking league where you you're given a distance or a, or a time or a whatever every week. And you just have to go out in a boat while we've got the weather and the, the sun is with us and the summer is here. And you can, rather than just, you know, work on your slap catches and your paddling, you've got, you've got something to have a bit of fun with. Yeah. And, and, and I think the main thing is you should just be, there shouldn't be a location. It should just be, a distance or a time yeah and you should use your understanding and your knowledge of the local conditions to your fullest advantage yeah so and if you crash into hammersmith bridge or it falls on top of you that's your problem that's your problem but that is the basic watermanship that we've been talking about that's been lacking because we've been racing in six lane ditches for far too long yeah can I bring up something that is slightly left of field? Or I mean, how are we doing in terms of original topics? That have we gone through most of them? I think I think we've gone we've gone through all of them. The, the other thing that I wanted to add, I wanted to give people a heads up about our next episode, which was uh, which is going to be about the subject of testosterone. Oh. Yes, because um, we have so much of it. it really <laughs> we have so much of it. We would uh, yeah, we we'd never actually spend several weeks seriously thinking about whether we needed to uh top up a bit more but no Aaron, i'm i'm actually much more interested on on your go on what, what, what's your slightly left field idea this is slightly does left it involve field. spaniels first of all it has no spaniels in it. Okay. it it was it was the health has been a bit up and down again recently which has yeah. you know led to some periods in bed and 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 some some deep searching conversations with myself as to whether i would ever walk again and see my darling louise's face uh, no sorry different podcast in a semi-delirious state i got onto that tricky linguistic conundrum of the difference between an axiom uh, an aphorism and a proverb. Now you're an intelligent, privately educated man, Loon. Can you tell me what you know? Do you know the difference? You're looking it up, aren't you? Yeah, I'm literally going. I'm like, okay, axiom. Ooh, look, there's axiomatic. Yeah. Axiom. A principle axiom. that is accepted as true without proof. Okay, so that's so, so if something is axiomatic, then you can accept it without further evidence. Yeah, so kind of like gravity. Yes, is is yeah. is axiomatic. What's an aphorism, Loon? Is that with a pH? Uh, yes. yes, it is. It is. Thank God. It's a post-Norman conquest because the first sound is a pH sound, but it's an aphorism. Uh, right. Okay. Well, um, it's got two. It, well, it's got a load of bloody definitions here. Um, an aphorism <laughs> is a concise, terse, laconic, or memorable expression. 
expression of a general truth or principle. For instance, right. the grass is always greener on the other side. That's an aphorism. For the sake of the of the listener, and 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 to save them getting into into Webster's, Merriam's, or the or the OED online, an aphorism is a short phrase that expresses a truth or a position or a philosophical axiom. So, what's a proverb then? Uh, hang on, uh, I'll tell you in a second. A proverb uh, is a simple, insightful, traditional saying. Are you still there? I am still there. I, okay, I, I'm, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm, sorry. I'm amazed. I'm, I'm, I'm amazed that you know all this stuff off the top of your head without looking it up. It's it's unbelievable. <laughs> Absolutely. It's uh it's it's my classical education. Okay, so the reason why I'm asking this, and, and bear in mind I was I was I was in quite a lot of pain, semi-delirious, and and lacking a lot of sleep. The thing about aphorisms and proverbs is you can rework them. So for example, a compromise, you know the old saying a compromise a compromise is a falling between two stools. You don't yeah. you don't land on one, but you don't land on the other. You land yeah, yeah. somewhere in in the middle, and you can rework that as if if you're someone like Stephen Fry, you might say something like a compromise is a stalling between two fools. So you you take the same thing and you turn it around in a in a witty in a witty way. Okay. Um, are you aware of the biblical proverb, "Death, where is thy sting"? I'm aware. I didn't know it was biblical. I, I thought it was a World War II song. Right. Okay. It's from the Bible. It's Corinthian. Okay, it's, no, it's, okay. it's from it's uh, from Corinthians, which I believe were people who lived in in Corinth. Um, I'm guessing, uh, meaning it's basically there is life everlasting in the Lord. If you are persecuted, if you if you row on bowside, for example, it's fine. There is life everlasting in the Lord, and then the fear of death has no power over the living anymore. Um, I just love the idea that bowsiders are trying to become protected category under the law, and thus <laughs> literally half, half the rowing population of this country is trying to win the oppression Olympics. Right. Uh, look on. Sorry. No, that's fine. So I'm 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 in a semi-delirious, um, highly yeah. painful state. I'm I'm taking an awful lot of codeine at this point, and it's not actually seeming to making a, a blind bit of difference to any of my pain levels or indeed my mental acuity now you know in the northeast and and I, I i always say nice things about it because they've got dragons here that'll kill me we've produced some of the world's best songwriters mark knopfler for example yeah uh, um sting sting or as we, like to, as we as we like to call him gordon because that's his name i don't actually on a sidebar i don't understand this what happened in the 80s like you two the lead singer's name is Paul, Paul Hewson, but he calls himself Bonio after dog food. What is that all about? And, and the, the guitarist, the guitarist calling is, himself The Edge. But his real name is Dick Evans. None of his friends at school went, hey there, to Edge. How's that? How's that going in a Dublin brogue? I actually know someone who worked with Gordon Sumner in Newcastle Big Band when he was a young up and coming musician. Because uh, he's claimed previously that his bandmates um, in Newcastle Big Band gave him this because he wore a black and yellow striped jumper that made him look a little bit like a wasp. And I, I asked this band leader this, um, did you know Sting? Yes. Or as we call him, Gordon. And did you give him his nickname of Sting because he wore a jumper that was striped like a wasp? And they said, no, we gave him the nickname of Prick because he was one. Uh, um he was always singing whining songs about why nobody would go out with them and nobody would sleep with them. And I said, yeah, well, it did go on to make them a rather a lot of money. Now, the thing about Northeastern songwriters, as I see it, and I could yes. be wrong here, they've all got nostalgic songs about Newcastle. So Martin Offler has Tunnel of Love, which is a work of timeless genius. Um, Sting has all, all this time on the Soul Cages album, which is, which is wonderful. But the weird thing is, Lewin, they all got as far away from fucking Newcastle as they possibly could, as soon as they possibly could. Once they realised there was money recognition in all of the women that their tongues could handle, if they could just get past the gravitational pull of the angel of the north and the world outside. Now, here's where I'm going with the whole proverbs, death where is thy sting, semi-delirious state, very, 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 very dozed up on codeine. Um, and I'm not going to talk about the fact that Gordon squandered his talent for sharp pop writing in favour of meandering jazz, and he's he's more full of self-regard and self-importance than the average hot air balloon. But at some point, while I was turning over this whole 
death, where is thy sting? And thinking about Gordon Sumner and all the rest of it, a little voice in my head just went, sting, where is thy death? And that, that, that was it. That's all I wanted to say. <laughs> okay, no, no, right. This is, right, this is really, really important, okay? <laughs> really? It's, it's yeah, not, no, 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 bit, because not... Henley has this effect on Northerners. Right. Okay, they come to Henley. I've, I've seen two young women closely associated with Agecroft having exactly this conversation, and it was like, okay, I'm not going to mention names because you know they, <laughs> you know, Facebook, uh, they could probably find out where I live. But one said to the other, "No, sitting on the banks of Henley, you know, basically doing our." northern barbarian trying to be posh and civilized that's it I, I i want to live in the south she wasn't doing that at the lee regatta she 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 was doing that at henley royal regatta yes there are bits of the south which make everybody i mean literally you get texans will come to henley or Various bits of like the whole Bucks, Barks, uh, Hampshire, and they'll come there and they say, I want to live in the south of England because it's awesome. But the fact is that there are only certain types of people who can live in those bits of the south of England. And they're usually people who've got platinum records or the money associated with platinum records. Of course. And so, you know, when you say Mark Knopfler and Sting and um, who was the guy with the broken nose? Jimmy Nail. Jimmy Nail. When when you say, oh, you know, they all, they all betrayed their roots and got as far away from it. They went to the place where everybody in the country with a very large amount of money goes because it's incredibly nice namely that kind of patch of incredibly fertile and beautiful land to the west of london that's just full of rolling hills and small forests and maseratis and mansions gorgeous there as long as you're a millionaire yeah, I, I'm not knocking them for that. I mean, the very first time that I, I went to Henley for the regatta, I literally stepped out of the car and went, I really, I want to live here. If I had the money, there is nowhere else on the planet I would rather be. It's really, yeah. it's really, and I'm not knocking Mark or Gordon or Jimmy, you know, they went to London because that's where the music industry is and that's where you have a chance to make money, which you don't have in the North. And I'm certainly not knocking them for getting out of Newcastle because when I was was 18, you know, straight past the Angel of the North and to where I thought life was, you know, Aberdeen, wasn't much life there. They're all Scottish. Edinburgh, a bit more life there. London, great fun. Manchester, great fun. Sheffield, interesting place. But I'm not knocking them for that, you know, when I got out of the car for the first time on the bridge as this, the twilight was in the gloaming and the, the boat tents were out and the water was softly silvered and the, the light was going, I just thought, yes, yes, I, I'll take it. Don't wrap it. It's, Where do I sign? But you do need a lot of money to live there. And they it, obviously have a lot of money. It's there in California for me, honestly. Yeah. pretty is. I think there's something slightly hypocritical in a famous singer-songwriter who will turn on... I mean, Sting is basically... Iron, he's from Wall's End, where my mum used to teach, where, and, and she went there with Uzi submachine guns and Rottweilers every day. It's a lovely part of the world, but it's slightly rough. He has no trace of a Wall's End accent in anything unless he needs it to kind of sell his northern authenticity. Um, and they write these these songs about how amazing it was and how wonderful Newcastle was and how formative it was and and yet how authentic yet, it was how authentic it was and yet they're not here <laughs> they are elsewhere with their platinum American Express cards and 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 women coming out of their ears I've never actually seen that I'd love the, the whole oh he has women coming out of his ears that must be really painful. On, on, a, on a basic physical level, I mean, if giving birth is painful, actually passing live women out of your ears must be, must be tough. Indeed. And I'm, I'm going to say, on that note, we have reached an hour and five minutes. Yes. Uh, you know, death, where is thy sting? Sting, where is thy death? <laughs>
really, I really hope we don't get this like this episode kind of <laughs> dragged off and seen as like some sort of death threat to rock stars. But anyway, ladies and gentlemen, this has been a slightly more rambling episode than normal. Thank you very much for your forbearance, uh, allowing two old crewmates to shoot the shit about rowing. <laughs>